And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm uh, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And we've got a special person with us today, Virginia Hines. Virginia's, well, we featured her last year. She's written many excellent articles for the magazine. And if you haven't read any of them, I encourage you to go read them because they're always very interesting, very informative. Thanks to her, a year or two ago, I wound up buying a 21 millimeter lens because she wrote all about shooting with the 21. So she can cost you money too. So be careful of that. Virginia, welcome. Thank you, Bob. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. You've always got something interesting to say. And like I said, I, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from you over the well, last few so years. thanks so much. And uh, so it's always great when people are willing to share their knowledge and their experience. And we appreciate that from you. So one thing we want to talk about today is Virginia recently attended the, the Chico Hot Springs Portfolio Review which is uh, held by the Charcoal Book Club in uh, Montana. And they've been doing it for the last several years. And it's, it, it sounds really intense. I'm sure you're going to get into it. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the review? I mean, how you found out about it, what it's all about. And then we'll get into the details. Awesome. Yeah, I found out about it. A number of people have asked me that. Uh, they co-market through Aperture. So I happened to be on oh. Aperture's uh, mailing list and had actually known about it for two or three years, but I didn't feel I was ready. It's sort of a um, commitment of, of um, time and effort to, um, to bring your uh, work to the, to the review. So I didn't feel like I had a project that was mature enough until this year. Um, so I applied. Um, they say about one in 10 people who apply are uh, invited in. It's, um, it is juried by a you know, fairly um, prestigious um, uh, uh, jury of photographers and publishers. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get invited in. I think about 65 maybe um, uh, people were invited in for the first time. And they also have some alumni that return. Once you're invited, you're considered an alum and you can come back. So all in all, about 80 uh, of us photographers were there. There were about 25 um, speakers and reviewers who were um, uh, well-known photographers, uh, some gallerists, some uh, publishers, and they um, uh, gave some artist talks as well as the uh, as well as doing the one-on-one review. So everybody who was there as either a speaker or a reviewer uh, uh, did the reviews. Um, and you ended up with a guarantee of 10 reviews, but almost everybody, including myself, uh, would approach people or find a blank spot in their schedule or whatever and get a few more. So I ended up with about a dozen, uh, doing about a dozen different reviews. I had never done a portfolio review before, uh, but now I feel like I'm an expert. So <laughs> it was, you can uh, do it. it was learning, um, you know, learning on the go and, uh, v- really interesting experience. And I, um, yeah, I'm the sort of person I always sort of stumble through things. I can't learn by reading the manual. I always have to just make mistakes and learn through that. And hopefully I can share a little bit um, to um, uh, help other people avoid that pain and inconvenience. So they say it's hot springs. So for you, was it more like a hot seat? That's a good way to put it, Bob. It was, uh, you know, you talk to a dozen people, I guarantee you. Uh, they're not going to, the, the opinions that you hear are not going to converge. And that wasn't only the case for me, but all of the, uh, or many of the attendees that I spoke with had the same experience. It's like, wow, we're hearing so many things. It's almost, you know, I came here hoping to get some clarity around my work. Instead, it's a little bit more confusing than clarifying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the same time, it's, um, it's, it's like a focus group of your potential audience. So it's super valuable. Um, you're going to hear some very negative things, some people who just aren't interested in your work. You're going to hear, you know, some great encouragement from people that you admire. And, um, you know, my advice is just sort of take it all in. Um, uh, don't uh, take it too personally. Uh, take note, take a lot of notes. But at the end of the day, even the the opinions that may not be what you were hoping to hear, you know, people have given you the gift of sharing their candid input. 
And uh, if you can uh, just sort of settle down the emotional response to it and, and think through what, what you're hearing, uh, it's very helpful in terms of, you know, helping you focus and um, decide where you want to go. I mean, you're never going, anytime you bring work to market, you're never going to have everybody that comes into the gallery or the museum or whatever, uh, you know, falling all over it. There's going to be a diversity of opinion, and this is a great way to preview that. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, I know a lot of people are afraid. They're afraid to submit to our magazine and our contests because you, you're putting yourself out there, and you, you know you're really leaving yourself exposed to criticism, whether it's constructive or not. Exactly, and and I think that's a key thing. No, nobody minds getting cr constructive criticism. I mean, well, maybe some people do, but even constructive criticism. Uh, you can learn from that and and feel like the person is is trying to help you. Not you know it's inevitably with a dozen reviewers, it's not always the case that the people are even trying to help you. Uh, and so you know it um, you just have to have a little bit of a thick skin and not not let it get to you, not let it knock you off your sort of your core vision for your work. But it does um, encourage you to to think really clearly what you know what. Why am I making this work? What uh, am I trying to say, um, you know, for myself, for my audience, uh, you know, and how could I make it better? Because none of us is perfect and there's always ways to improve. And um, getting this very candid feedback can sometimes be the, the path to that. So when you would get an evaluation, were these, were these people, did they have your work in advance? And so they had an opportunity to study it? Or did you sit down cold, show them your book and then they did it i uh, i wouldn't say off the cuff but uh, uh right Almost. on the spot yeah so it's uh, it's a mix because at chico i'm i'm not sure if other portfolio reviews do this but at chico they did um invite the attendees to uh, put their work in a folder on google drive so that the uh reviewers could look at it ahead of time and mm -hmm. um, i know at least a few of mine did i would say probably not not the majority. Uh, and so for those who did not look at it in advance, it was just cold. Um, what, they, um, what they recommend bringing is a portfolio box with about 15 to 20 exhibition quality prints. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, you know, in itself, that you put a lot of effort into making those quality prints and, uh, you know, there's some cost involved as well. Um, and then have some backup prints uh, that are essentially just work prints, much, um, you know, less high quality, less uh, fancy paper, all of that, um, and have more backup prints of the same project, as well as one or two other projects. I, um, you know, I just didn't get around with all the prep that was going on. I didn't get around to um, doing, uh, making prints of another project. And I mm -hmm. wish I had, because I think it's often the case that if there's something about, um, your project that the particular reviewer just doesn't respond to, doesn't get, doesn't like, uh, you know, move on. You can move on and say, well, here's some other work I've done. Mm -hmm. And so that was my regret that I didn't um, make that extra time to make it, um, to bring another 15, 20 uh, work prints in. I would have used them two or three times anyhow. Um, but um, yeah, in terms of the prep, uh, you need a number of materials. So you start, of course, with the prints. Uh, they also encourage you to have a PDF, which uh, in my case, I just put together a PowerPoint and then exported it to a PDF that had yeah, all of the images nice. that I showed, yeah. but also uh, some text, uh, a little introduction to the project, and um, some bio uh, information. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, you need a business card because you definitely, you know, the, the real point of this is not so much to immediately have somebody uh, say, you know, I've got to bring this to my audience <laughs> right now. Uh, instead, <laughs> you really want to just build these, start building these relationships, meet people who are hard to meet and start building relationships. So you want to have at the least a card to, um, you know, business, just a plain business card. And then also m most of the folks, most of the attendees brought um, what some call a postcard. It can be different formats. Some of them mm -hmm. were small. Some of them were were bigger than a postcard. Some of them were thicker than a postcard. But uh, something that has uh, one of your strong images on one side and on the back, um, just a little more about the project, uh, your contact info, 
uh, sort of a leave behind, uh, you know, a one piece takeaway. Yeah. Even if they don't have any of your other materials, they they have that to recall the conversation. Yeah, easy to take with them. It's not some big thing. What size prints did did you have to bring? Uh, they say. Uh, yeah, they say up to 16 by 20. I brought oh. uh, 11 by 14, though, because okay. I, I, you know, I didn't want to go overboard. It's the, the reviewers, this is, you know, one of the sort of strange considerations. And this is true. I've heard of many reviews, not only Chico. They don't have much space. They just have a little table in front of them. Yeah. And so yeah. a small plastic folding table. And so the bigger the prints, the harder it is to really, you can't really lay them all out. So mm -hmm. I just compromised. I did want something. Uh, bigger than an eight by ten, but um, I thought the eleven by fourteen was uh, good enough to show the yeah, you know sort of the tonality. Yeah, are you? Did you print them yourself, or you send them out to a lab? I did. Yeah, I did not print them myself. I have a very good printer here in San Francisco. His name is Seth Dickerman. He uh, he prints, for example, uh, when the uh, a lot of museums around him here use him. When the Oakland Museum of Art had a big Dorothea Lange exhibit, he did their printing. Oh, wow. So, um, so he's somebody I trust a lot. Um, in fact, one of the reviewers actually sort of deep dived on the prints and said, "I, you know, I love your prints. Who did them?" <laughs> and I gave them uh, Seth's uh, name and contact info. So, uh, you know, I felt like that was the prints really represented me well. And I have to say, I've heard from other people that if you go in, you know, it's a mistake to go in with prints that are you know, just work quality prints, because then the reviewer, it gives a chance, the reviewer an opportunity to kind of uh, get hung up on your print quality. And it doesn't really show your images off to, yeah, uh, that's to a good their point. best. So it's worth the investment. It, you know, it is an investment to make um, a dozen, over a dozen high quality prints, but it's worth the investment. Uh, if anybody's a real geek on this, I uh, used um, the uh, Canson Platine paper uh, and a um, pigment print. So, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, the same guy that asked about the printer wanted to know what paper I used. So, it seems like to some people this is important. Uh, Seth, my, so my printer said that uh, uh, he he that's the paper he uses for Dorothy Lang. My photos were monochrome, <laughs> and uh, he said that. He feels that that paper works really well. It gives you a really film-like uh, look on the black and white images. And, uh, you know, I agreed. And there were several people who actually said to me, uh, you know, is, are these film or digital? So I, I think that, that tells the story. Oh, really? Funny, right? You'd think yeah, that would be easier to tell. Think, yeah, def definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, how did you decide on the paper? I mean, there's so many good papers out there. Of course, if you're working with a good printer, I'm sure they have. A I just took his recommendation. I did yeah. look through them and I, I realized myself I wanted something just slightly warm, not too cool. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and he said, yeah, I agree. And here's the paper I use for Dorothea Lang's black and white negatives. I was like, yeah, that that works. <laughs> good enough for her work, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to argue. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. So you had, you said you had 12 reviews, and, and I was really curious about having lots of reviews like that because you've got 12 different opinions. Exactly. It's almost yeah. too many. You know, yeah. at the end of it all, uh, several of us attendees were, were chatting and we were like, you know, if you really know what you want to do with your work, um, you don't need that many. It's, uh, it almost yeah. creates more chaos than, than clarity. Yeah. At the same time, and this is, I think, is true of many reviews, you, um, you, don't, you get to say who you would like, but then you only get about half of them. So you, okay. get there, you were allocated 10 reviews. You got to request 10 reviewers. 
um, that then you only got half of those. So you're going to get um, some some noise regardless. And then you try the people that you wanted that you didn't get. You try to catch them in a in a free moment to uh, at least get a little feedback from them as well. So your your work was evaluated not just by photographers but by like publishers, publishers, or- and uh, some curators from both galleries and wow. and museums. So what was the most helpful uh, advice you got? Or you're still digesting it? No, well, I am still digesting it and probably will be. But I think there were a few things that were really useful. The most helpful uh, first was even uh, people who had objected to my uh, project um, uh, sort of helped converge on a, on a favorite image. Mm-hmm. And so al- almost all of the reviewers, there was one particular image that everybody liked. And so I was like, oh, okay. You know, when you're, you're so close to it yourself, it's hard to, to know like which one is maybe a standout image. So I kind of have that, um, that converged opinion. Um, I also got a much better understanding. So my project, totally unintended. You know, I never go into these things wanting to be the controversial person. But um, my project <laughs> was on um, those photos I had made at Alcatraz. I was kind of exploring oh, the... Um, uh, the, the sense of isolation and confinement and social control in relation to what, what we've all been experiencing the last couple of years. Uh, so I got some very strong pushback. Uh, it's like, oh, you can't talk about anything with a prison without bringing in, uh, you know, mass incarceration, sort of the more political and contemporary Why? points of view. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't see that, but that, but, but, it's it sort of you start to connect the dots because the gallery and um, uh, curator people, especially people from mu- museums, nonprofits, in order to mount almost any exhibit or to acquire any work, they're done, they need grants and they have to write, um, you know, write. Uh, uh, that, so it all goes yeah. back to what can I, um, uh, you know, what makes an appealing grant application? And so obviously this is a theme that that really wouldn't work on that level. And it's not going to make me abandon the project, but it certainly uh, helps helps me hone in on what might be truly a better market for it, or what other markets really um, uh, are, you know, are just not appropriate. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, good learning, right? It's sure those even things the, you would never think of. Those are the best learning. Even in the nonprofit world, it's always about the money. It is. And photography, I mean, another thing that I realized, I had not had such an acute awareness of all the different roles in photography mm-hmm. and how, you know, each of them, uh, that how those roles give each person a, a really, uh, you know, sharply focused lens on, on uh, the work that's being produced and the work that they want to support. So that being able to see that, it's like, oh, okay, curators are, you know, really very interested in the and, and other folks, too, very interested in sort of the grants, because what you have in the world of photography, it's a little bit sad, but you have more and more people uh, chasing less and less money. Yeah. And so uh, That's for sure. yeah, it, it, it's not my situation, but there are young folks who are really hoping to work as photographers, um, you know, without having to have a quote day job. And um, that's, you know, that's a tough, a, a tough ambition. And I think, you know, starting at the very beginning, they they. Um, are thinking about things like these funding sources, including uh, grants. So you had a number of the attendees were, for instance, MFA students who had been working for quite some time, uh, really polishing their project, but also polishing their their story around it and the the specific verb, you know, sort of grant friendly verbiage that they use to uh, um, to frame it. So interesting to see all of that. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's bigger world than. Than you expect, I guess. All these, like you say, all these different roles. So, did you win? No, I didn't win. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I didn't win, but I learned a lot. So, I, uh, yeah. so that that you know that was valuable. I w- would I do it again? Absolutely, uh, yeah. for the learning and everything. Will I will I go back as an alum? I'm going to wait and see what the mm-hmm. see what the programming is. But um, it was, you know, it's. Fantastic learning. And also, I mean, it was great to just be one of the things about Chico Hot Springs. It's a very, it's a, on a kind of isolated ranch just north of uh, Yellowstone. And so 
uh, it's almost like one of those Agatha Christie books where everybody is sort of in this very confined space. Hopefully, no murders. Yeah, I was um, going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but but you're just you know around these people all the time because there's no there, there's not no easy way or or um, tempting places that are nearby for people to flee to. So um, you're seeing them, you're eating with them, you're chatting. And the, that chance to immerse in photography in an incredibly uh, beautiful location. Um, and yes, to go into the hot springs uh, with, the, you know, uh, some of your uh, new friends, uh, new photography friends. Uh, it's, it's all a lot of fun. And uh, the, the, the review part is very intense, but um, it's still just a very pleasurable and interesting experience. So you used your... You submitted your uh, Alcatraz work. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I really like it. Oh, thank you. And uh, but uh, how did you decide? You, you can only bring fifteen to twenty photos, and you probably have hundreds and hundreds. I mean, how did you make the decision I, to as to what to bring and what not to bring? That's a tough one, and you know, I'm still not sure that I absolutely picked the best images. Uh, but I tried to uh, do two things. First, pick the ones that I thought really were uh, among the strongest images. And then from that uh, subset, uh, you know, the photography world today is very hung up on sequencing. I almost think to an excessive degree, but anybody mm -hmm. in publishing or in um, exhibiting photos is spends hours and hours obsessing over the, the sequence. So I tried to pick photos that I, I could put, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert by any means in sequencing, um, but pick photos that I could actually put into a sequence that I felt like made sense and sort of, um, sort of told a story. Um, but that said, I want to take a tangent here when I say told a story, because there was a very strong um, uh, bias towards uh, storytelling, you know, visual narrative, all of that. For mm -hmm. me, photography is very different. Photography actually takes a moment, an instant out of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's like, it's not a story, it's an epiphany. And, you know, I feel like that's sort of the visual side of it. So I push back a little on the storytelling, but nevertheless, in the, you know, in the modern market, you've got to do that storytelling, that narrative, that sense of narrative. Um, so I took the, took from my sort of, subset of photos that I thought maybe were the strongest individual images. And I tried to uh, put those into a sequence that um, you know, somewhat uh, was cohesive and had one picture visually leading to the next and so forth. So what would you do differently now? Uh, I'd probably bring another project that wasn't so controversial <laughs> <laughs> because there were a few people that just sort of uh, shut, shut it down immediately. You know, really? when, uh, you hear some weird feedback. One person said, you don't look like prison, you know? So it's okay, like, thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, do I have to do something that I look like? Uh, you know, I, that seemed a Get little a harsh, yeah. but, um, uh, you know, I think it, it, pro I probably would have been able to get more out of it if I had a, had a project, um, that, uh, you know, that I could engage with that didn't just turn some people off immediately. Um, but, um, yeah, but I don't know, you know, in a way, bringing a project that doesn't work for some people, it, you learn a lot. It's, uh, you know, as I said in the beginning, you're, I learned by uh, stumbling. And uh, so I stumbled, and I think maybe I learned a little bit more by doing that than if you hit it out of the park and you're not quite sure what the secret sauce was. So what if you would have done a project like homelessness in San Francisco, <laughs> which has probably been done to death, but... Uh, you're right there. And maybe that gets grant money. Maybe it doesn't. Exactly. Depending on how you do it and yeah. how you approach it. So it's, yeah, it, there's, um, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. It, and it's, uh, it, it, it's just one slice of the photography world that you see at Chico, but, uh, I really did feel, you know, uh, feel that it was great learning and, and helped me be more aware of, if, to the extent that I or anyone wants to bring their photography to market, you know, to a broader audience, uh, you really need to understand how that broader audi audience yeah. of people that uh, consume photography, how they think about it. 
Um, and I was kind of blissfully um, naive of, about that until I until I went to this event. Hey, you got to you've got to put yourself out there. Exactly. Exactly. So other than somebody telling you you don't look like prison, what was like the most unhelpful advice you got <laughs> without naming uh, names? Yeah, no, no names. But uh, I think that and just the fact that, uh, you know, you can't you can't make photos of prison if you don't engage these, you know, it's or it's inappropriate even to make photos of prison that don't uh, that seem oblivious to the um, uh, to the to the larger concerns about um, mass incarceration that that are occurring in the U.S. You know, I'm, I'm very sensitive to that, but I think, you know, something mm -hmm. like Alcatraz, it closed 60 years ago. I, I think there's other perspectives. Uh, you don't have to always have the contemporary sort of hot button issues, uh, you know, front and mm -hmm. But I, I suppose that those, um, you know, those are working well for some people. So that may be why we see so much of that type of work. So what kind of presentations, what, what happened in the programs? Is there a lot of informative things or? Those were really what? great. There were every day, uh, there were two artists, two photographers, except one day it was, it was a panel of um, curators and gallerists. But other than that, uh, you know, uh, some photographers who were uh, just talking about their work, some well-known folks, um, uh, Todd Heido, Mimi Plum, um, and some others who were less well known, but uh, had great stories to tell. And uh, so I, you know, I loved that part. That that chance to just have a dialogue with those people was um, fantastic. And as I said, you know, they all did reviews. So some of them I was actually uh, able to talk with a little further in the in the review. And how many days were you there? It was six days in all. But you, uh, but there's really only four days of of reviews because. Uh, you, um, you know, you have an arriving day and a, actually it was seven days and all. You have an arriving day, a departing day, and then uh, a free day in the middle, which I really liked. Mm. I took, they offered a shuttle into Livingston, Montana. Uh, so I just took the shuttle in and uh, some people did various things, but I walked around Livingston for five hours just shooting. It was a, you know, cute little small mountain town and um, I had, had a blast doing that. And we were having some great weather, unusually warm, uh, hmm. early spring sort of weather, they said. So, yeah, was I was perfect. wondering. It came at the end of March and not particularly warm in that part of the country. Exactly. But thank, thanks to global warming, the weather was great. <laughs> there you go. There's always a benefit, right? The exactly. I'm, a, I'm Pollyanna. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody was going to go to uh, an event like this or even sit down with one person, whether in person or online, I mean, what do they need to think about to, to prepare for the evaluation? Yeah, so I think the first and most important thing is to um, think about what your goals are. Uh, if you are just looking for some validation of your work, a little bit of feedback, honestly, you'd be better off taking class and having a more extended um, dialogue mm -hmm. or you know, relationship with, uh, with a, uh, somebody who's a good teacher. Um, if you do uh, really want a, a read on um, uh, your skills and strengths, but you d perhaps don't have a project that's ready to uh, come to a you know a broader audience, then look for a lot of uh, local organizations have have smaller scale portfolio reviews. I know while I was in Montana, the um, uh, there was a, a local photo group that that here in San Francisco that, or here in the Bay Area that had, had one. Uh, so there's chances to do that um, where, you know, the reviewers are probably going to be more focused on being helpful. Their, their expectations are not so high in terms of you having a really polished package that you've totally put together. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, you know, if you feel like you have a mature body of work and you're really ready to bring it to an audience, um, that's the time to consider these national or or even international uh, at Chico. There were people from at least a dozen countries around the world. It was it was fantastic. That was one of the strengths of it. Um, in the U.S., there's there's a number of them. Uh, they do it at uh, the Santa Fe workshops, uh, mm -hmm. Photo Fest. I think the Miami Street Festival does it. I know they do. I, I did I did oh, evaluations wow. there. Palm Springs uh, yeah. does it. Uh, the New York Times has one that's extremely selective, but it's free, which is nice. 
Um, then there's Chico, of course. Uh, Filter Photo in Chicago does does something like that in the Midwest. Uh, there's Medium in San Diego. So, um, you know, there's a lot of them all in all different locations. You don't have to find something that's, uh, uh, you know, far away. It doesn't have to be a big trip. You can probably find something that's within, within a short flight, of, at least, of where you are. Um, and uh, between those, and there's there's a couple of categories. There's the juried ones like Chico, the New York Times, probably some of the others. I'm not that familiar with them. Uh, and then there's others that are not juried, where it's just first come, first serve. Um, you sign up. I you know I don't know exactly how they work, but I'm thinking you might get more of the people that you request. If you, especially, I know some of them you can just you know sort of buy, buy a review with one individual person. So those are. Um, Though, you know, there's a lot of options depending on how how targeted uh, you you want to be with your feedback, how um, much of a sort of a social environment you want uh, around the event, or do you just go and have a review and you're done with it? Um, you know, a lot of different um, uh, things to to think about depending on your own goals and the, sort of the readiness of your work, and the, the, honestly, the amount of time and money that you're willing to put into prepping, getting really nice prints, um, you know, putting together these PDFs and then printing them out, um, you know, having all these materials uh, to, to give us leave behinds. That's, that's a lot of stuff to carry, I'll tell you, yeah, when, it is. when you're talking to a dozen folks. So, uh, you know, the, you don't have to, you can do that if you want to go to the high end, or you can take something that's a little more informal and local and uh, start by putting your toe in the water. Just know your goals and, and you know, where you want to, uh, what you want to get out of it. I know you've, uh, you, you mentioned working with a teacher and you've done, you've gone, done a lot of training. You, if you don't know, Virginia is very serious about photography and the quality of her work. And I know you've done a lot of training. Is there any particular instructor that you would recommend to people to, to look into? Uh, you know, my, my friend Harvey Stein is, um, you know, is a fantastic teacher. I, I, I think of him as a mentor now. He's really just so open. He's, you know, he understands, I think he, he teaches at ICP and has taught many other places. And I think he really understands sort of the student journey. And he doesn't, uh, he's not really impatient with you because you need to need to learn and grow and progress. So, uh, you know, uh, Harvey does workshops. He teaches at ICP and occasionally he'll He'll teach um, for some other organization. So mm -hmm. I strongly encourage people to, um, you know, uh, look him up online uh, and um, uh, find some events that he's doing. And if you're if you're learning, if you really want to uh, uh, grow your uh, knowledge and skill set, um, you know, just this is just based on my personal opinion. I'm sure there are other folks, but uh, Harvey has been, um, you know, a great help to me and. Uh, and many other people. Uh, there were a couple of people. I'm, who knows how many folks at um, at Chico actually knew him, but I bumped into a, a couple, uh, and we were talking about him. And everybody pretty much agrees that he's, you know, he's a great teacher and uh, really devoted to the student, helping the student learn and grow. Yeah, I agree. I've been through two workshops with him, and uh, he, he's an excellent teacher. Uh, matter of fact, a, he did a workshop for us last uh, last summer. And that's a rare skill. You know, the, mm -hmm. to, honestly, uh, there's just a lot of folks in the photography world who, uh, you know, who, are, who may be wonderful photographers or uh, mm -hmm. have, you know, great writers, have prominent positions. But teaching and the, the empathy and the patience that are required to be a great teacher, not everybody has that, but certainly Harvey does. No, no, uh, definitely not. Just because somebody is good at something doesn't make them an excellent teacher. Exactly, exactly. You know, you can learn from their work, but sometimes you can't learn from them depending on their communication skills. Yeah, sometimes you're better off just buying the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, early on, you said something. Um, you said photography isn't a, a, it's not a story, it's an epiphany. Hopefully, I phrase that properly. That's my yeah. That's my point of view. I, yeah. You know, as as a sort of a right brain person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what do you mean by that? 
So I, you know, I think it has to do photography itself. I don't want to get overly philosophical here, but photography, no, okay. uh, you know, you, you can't think about photography very long without um, bringing in the different concepts of time. And, uh, you know, there's different, uh, you know, photography, it stops time, it incorporates time, it um, takes a, mo a moment, or I like to say an instant because of the, the etymology of the word instant means to stand versus the etymology of the word moment means to move. So I feel like even, you know, you should use the word instant. Um, it takes an instant out of, um, out of time and, and makes, you know, by taking it out of time, it takes it out of this dimension that we all live in. I mean, we humans are just completely saturated by time, right? We can't, it's like a river that we can't uh, escape. Uh, but photography can, can uh, transform that. Um, and so I feel like, you know, this sort of visual epiphany that occurs the way that the, um, the photographer arranges the frame, uh, stops time, and uh, puts different elements together, uh, you know, uh, is, is sort of fundamentally, it's an aha, aha moment versus, um, you know, being a story. But a lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm going to take a photo and then, you know, write the story that it tells. But the beauty of it, you know, we all know a picture is worth a thousand words. How does that even happen? You know, because a narrative is in itself intrinsically is time. It's like going from point A to point B. B. Uh, I think a photo is outside of time. And um, um, yeah, so I, I see it as, as fundamentally different. And I, that's an aspect of photography that I like to play with and uh, like to think about. Yeah, what did Einstein say? Um, time, if, if we didn't have time, everything would happen. Ah, boy, that's a, never mind. Never mind. He also <laughs> said it's an illusion. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it, it, thinking about photography very quickly, uh, brings you to, uh, to Einstein and, you know, time and space. I mean, what is photography, but time and space and, and twisting it around in different ways from the ways that we experience them in real life. So. I think uh, you know, photography is very modernist at that point. In that sense, it's interesting to see how uh, relativity and photography both kind of photography, of course, predated relativity, but um, to see how they sort of grew very quickly at the same time. I think part of a part of a modernist mindset of from the early 20th century. Uh -huh. I think what he says, we have time because that way everything doesn't happen at the same time or something. I'll have to look it up. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Man, so what's next for you? What now now that you're back from that? Yeah, so I, you know, I I am still kind of decompressing. I had a fun at the end of the another benefit of being in Montana. I just at the end of it, I rented a car and just drove around for four days. It was kind of a mini road trip. As well. I, uh, I wanted to uh, to go to Butte, Montana. I, you you probably noticed a, an unusually large number of photos in the Americans are from Butte. It's like really why Butte? And so I wanted to go to Butte, uh, following in Robert Frank's footsteps. And of course, it's changed a lot, but um, uh, and just look around. And uh, uh, so I, I have probably a thousand images from those four days that I want to work through and think about. Um, and um, I, uh, I'm hoping this year to get back into traveling because traveling always just kind of uh, ignites my curiosity and my creativity. Uh, we've all been very, uh, I'm talking about international travel because we've, mm -hmm. you know, I've done some road tripping, but uh, we've all uh, been so constrained on the international side. So I have a couple of irons in the fire for potentially uh, finally going overseas in the fall. Hope those mm -hmm. uh, work out. And, so are um, we, yeah, yeah. Try, hope, hopefully. Cross fingers. I mean, there's always a new variant that's coming along. And yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's been tough. It's been tough. So um, going, going back to, um, going back, back to uh, Hot Springs, it, what was the one big takeaway? Uh, you know, I think it was just, it, it, it really helped level my game up because mm -hmm. I had just been, oh, I'm making these pictures. I'm getting positive feedback, publishing articles in street photography magazine, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, it's, uh, 
But when you go to something like this, where there's a lot of people there who make their living doing it, you you just realize, you know, if I really want to play with these people, and maybe I do, maybe I don't, that's something mm-hmm. to think about. But if you really want to play with them, uh, you have to uh, sort of take things to the next level in terms of the way you think about your projects and really putting together a very tight package. So I think it was uh, just the insight into, um, you know, what, what it would mean to professionalize. And by that, I'm not talking about trying to earn a living doing it. I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I think that's, I'm probably a little, <laughs> a little past the wanting to start a, a new career in photography, but uh, just, just being able to participate and, um, you know, as a, an equal and dialogue with those folks, uh, you know, what's it going to take? So now the question, now I come back and think, you know, is that something, is that an effort I want to make? And I'm, I'm still working on that. Yeah. I imagine it's going to take a while. Like you say, just, just digest it and see how it works for you. Yeah. And see what comes out, you know, the, the, the most creative stuff sort of emerges really, I think from your unconscious. And so just sort of go out and do things and see what, uh, see what mm. uh, emerges. Yeah. It's also, you, I'm glad you talked about your, your Alcatraz project because you did that all in monochrome, right? That's right. I used yeah. the Leica monochrome yeah. with, with vintage lenses. This was, Oh, you did? I, oh. Yeah, I, I, got, I had, peri- well, let's say period lenses. One of mm-hmm. them is actually vintage. The other one is a reissued uh, vintage lens, but uh, period lenses to try to capture that real look of, from the oh, 50s and 60s. Yeah, I've been thinking about using some vintage lenses. lenses. Uh, just did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with a guy in saying uh, with uh, Aaron Cabido. He's in another town here in Virginia, and he shoots only with vintage lenses. Oh wow! On his Fuji, and uh, it, you know, it's a very interesting look. I mean, in the old days, they weren't so perfect. Exactly. You know. Exactly. You don't need sixty megapixels for for a, the, no. You and, don't. and you know, the other thing about vintage lenses is they, at least the Leica ones, were were tuned for black and white, so they have a somewhat cool color rendering, mm-hmm. um, and they look a little weird sometimes in uh, uh, in if you use them on color images, you have to just tweak the the white balance. Uh, but they they give a kind of a magic to black and white that um, that you can't get in the, you know with the modern ones. Modern lenses yeah. are so clinical. Yes, they are. So you were using you had a monochrome body. That's right. The M10 monochrome. Which one do you have? The M10 monochrome. Yeah, the M10. Okay. And, I love that uh, camera. Yeah. I don't think, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to pry it out of my hands. I, <laughs> I, I like color images, too, in, in the right situation. But uh, the M10 monochrome is uh, just a real favorite. I, uh, I had the Q2 monochrome for a while. Oh, nice. And I kept beating myself up over having a rather expensive camera dedicated just to monochrome. Although most of what I do is monochrome. And uh, I sold it, thinking of getting it back. But the lens, it's a beautiful lens, but it's like perfect. <laughs> yeah, the modern lenses are very clinical. They're just um, uh, sort of made to a different aesthetic standard of people yeah. who want edge-to-edge sharpness and yeah. all these things that the vintage uh, lenses don't have. I'm curious, when you were using your monochrome, did you, um, did you use the contrast filters? Because I, I enjoy mm-hmm. doing that. No, I had a yellow filter. I used and an orange. I like an orange with the yeah. With the I was going to get an orange. If I get another one, I'll, I'll I'll probably get an orange filter. Red's a little too heavy. Yeah, to red me. is unless you're looking for just a very uh, uh, sort of intense and uh, almost expressionistic effect. Yeah, red is overboard, over the top. But the orange is nice. So, what are the vintage lenses you're using? I have a uh, a. a from the mid sixties, uh, I, uh, it's called, uh, version one of the, uh, eight element, uh, Sumacron F2, 35 millimeter F2. Is that the and, uh, king of bokeh? Is that the, no, that's the no. version. That's like version. That's a different version. Oh, that's four, uh, this I think. Is, yeah. yeah. This is the eight element The I think the king of bokeh has either six or seven elements. So this mm. is the first one of this line of Sumacrons. Um, I learned about it. I took a, a, just sort of a lens, half-day lens playing uh, workshop with 
uh, with um, the photographer Mark DePaola at the uh, at the Leica store here in San Francisco, and that's one of his favorite lenses. He basically brought in a box of all kinds of lenses, and we could just play with them. And he had some models that we could shoot, and that was a fun day. Um, but I learned about that lens in that experience, and um, had to have one and, and found one. Uh, the other one I'm using is the um, uh, the f 5.6 millimeter Sumeron. It's a reissue of the mm-hmm. uh, of, of actually a like a thread mount, a screw in. Uh, lens from the 50s and that one gives a very um very old school kind of uh, high contrast um but uh it vignettes a little bit just a very uh very 1950s expressionist sort mm. of look so it was perfect for alcatraz interesting so you don't use any voigtlanders or no other, i'm or, kind or, of a pure like a purist yeah, i figured it's my they're beautiful yeah i had the 35 sumer i had the version five but Oh, nice! It's beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. I wish. No, I wish I didn't sell it. <laughs> well, you can always get it back. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever use the M two forty six, or did you go straight to the M ten monochrome? No, I, uh, I, I didn't. Is the two forty six the monochrome? The previous generation monochrome? Yeah, it's, I didn't yeah. have that. I had the I had the M two sixty two, which was a slimmed down mm-hmm. version of the of the two forty. Yeah, uh, but I didn't have a monochrome till the M10. Oh, okay. Yeah, a friend of mine has got 246, and I happened to see him when I was in Florida. It's, the tones are beautiful. A lot of people love that camera. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit bigger, but uh, I don't know. I got. I have to quit talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> the the benefit of the 240 series cameras is they have great battery life. They have a big yes, battery that lasts all day, and the, and it doesn't cost much either. Yeah, yeah, especially now that the M11 is out, you can get a good deal. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So no way you go go for a, a Fuji or a Canon or anything, huh? Uh, I don't think so. Just because, <laughs> partly because, you know, once you learn a camera, it really becomes yeah. part of your, um, you know, part of your workflow. And uh, it's a lot of work to learn a new camera. I when I yes, occasionally is. get a new one, even when I upgrade it from the two sixty two to the M ten, it takes me months. Like I'll use mm-hmm. it a little bit, but still kind of go back to the one I'm familiar with. Uh, and that's one of the reasons. There's some others, but one of the reasons I'm a little hesitant to upgrade to the to the M eleven because it's um, it's very different. You know, the the shutter is always open, which I don't really like. And really. Um, it, I'm the 60 megapixels seems like a little bit of, a um, little bit of overkill. So I'm, I'm debating, do I, do I want to change? You know, once you're comfortable with something, I, I mean, I think the cameras that exist today will deliver images that are plenty good. It's really just about, um, about you, the photographer and how you use it. Yeah. that 60 megapixel. My, my Q2 is 48 and the files are huge. And it really changes things in terms of your like post processing storage. Takes a long exactly. time to upload. Uses up a lot of space. Uh, does give you the ability to crop. You right, crop but if you a, frame well, you don't yeah, need to crop. You, you don't it's, need to. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of a crutch that I don't like to have because <laughs> it, uh, you know, it it, it encourages uh, sloppiness, and I try to get better instead <laughs> of sloppier. So, hey, I said she's serious. wow wow that's something so um i don't know so you're getting ready to do thinking about doing some international travel and uh any ideas where you're gonna go or you just yeah i have a a a friend wants to go to uh japan and taiwan i've been to both those places but haven't spent a lot of time there so i'd love to go back and spend more time some amazing photography in japan yes Um, there is and uh, there's kind of a, a, a an offbeat opportunity that may or may not work out to spend a week in Scotland. I uh, actually lived in Scotland. I went to grad school there many, many years ago. Mm. Haven't been back. Uh, so it, it would be fun to to do that if it works out. That would be in September and the uh, Asian thing would be in uh, October. So we'll, we'll see. And, you know, between yeah. then and now, um, just kind of think about things. I may also... Um, Go back, uh, you know, just go back through my work, especially what I've made the last couple of years, and um, see, you know, see see what I may have overlooked. Now that we have a different mindset from 
from uh, the COVID times. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it, hopefully it doesn't change. Exactly, exactly. There's, I, I noticed back in 2020 when I was taking some road trips, it was an election year, I was making a lot of photos that had American flags in them. And, mm-hmm. you know, not, not by intention, but it, they just were appearing. And mm-hmm. um, that sort of is interesting to me as a potential series. So I'm going to go back and have a look and, you know, see what it, what does it say about us and our country and our attitudes towards patriotism and um, I see if I can a, find enough pictures to have a little project there. I saw, a, I wish I could remember the photographer's name. It was a, like a conversation with the guy that did something similar. Oh, okay. I'll check that out. Yeah. If I remember his name, I'll, I'll send it to you or put it in the show notes. Hey, those conversations are really good. I love them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this one in particular was very interesting. So I'll look it up and find it. Please. <laughs> I look forward to, to learning from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, there's just so much to learn. So, all right, Virginia. Well, thanks. Um, before we go, let everybody know where they can see more of your work besides uh, Street yeah. Photography Magazine. Exactly. Well, of course, Street Photography Magazine. But if that if that doesn't uh, satiate you, then you can go to uh, virginiahines.com uh, and or uh, follow me on Instagram at uh, vhines, V-H-I-N-E-S underscore photos. All right. That's great. Well, thanks, Virginia. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Thanks, Bob. Always a pleasure. Take care and all the best with uh, Street Photography Magazine. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. <music>